man, I am looking forward to this series. I don't know about if you grew up in church, um, the story of Jonah too often kind of centered around a fish. Um, and that's part of the story, but it's really a really a minor part of the story. There's a, a more significant part, and it's not Jonah. Do you know that? Because one of the things I want to, I've been thinking about this as I've been planning for this year. One of the things I want to do for us is I want you to see God in a different light than maybe you ever have before as we walk through 2020. Because if you, if you, if you grew up and maybe you had a really bad experience or maybe you've, been, you've seen things from Christians or you just, whatever it is, and, and it's given you a view of God that's not been accurate or clear. I hope that through this year, as we walk through a lot of different series, that you will see this God maybe in a light that you haven't seen Him. And I really hope that that's the case. Because the story of Jonah is not about a fish, even though that's part of the story. It is not about Jonah, even though that's part of the story. This book, this story, is really about the grace and mercy of God. It really is. It's not only grace and mercy on Jonah, it's also grace and mercy on mankind, in particular the Ninevites. And so we're going to walk through this. It's, it's not a very long book, but it is worth jumping into because it, it, it was appropriate for me to start this year wanting to set the table that we've got a God that we need to see that is gracious and full of mercy. And that he wants us to be a part of that and to experience that. And so, as we get started, I want, you to, I want you to see if you can answer this question for yourself. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've run from God? If all of us were honest, there's probably been a point that we've said, I'm not going to do that, God. I don't think I want to answer that question. Have you ever had a point where I'm not even going to pray about that because I know the answer that God's going to give? I've known people like, I don't want to talk to Danny, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to pray because I actually know the answer to that question. It's interesting because everybody in this room has probably run from God on some level, big or small, consequences can be smaller or greater, but we all have done that. And you have to think, why? Why was I running? Why did I not want God to, why did I want to follow God? Why did I want to not seek out counsel and do the right thing. There's a lot of reasons. You're going to see that really play out with Jonah here in a second. And here's the other thing I've learned about myself and about everybody in this room is whenever we run from God, it rarely goes well. I have never, in all my years of ministry, I've never met anybody and they go, hey, Danny, I want to let you know I was running from God and it turned out great. I've never met that person. I've never met that person that went, you wouldn't believe it. Everything just fell into place. It was great. Everything turned out well. Conversely, I've met those people like I should have, could have, would have, wished I hadn't people that wished they would have done something differently. They wished they would have responded to God. They wished they hadn't rebelled. They wished they hadn't chosen this path even though God told them not to. And you see that. And it's interesting because this story is is pretty powerful. If you've got your Bibles, 
Go to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. It's right after Obadiah. This is in the Old Testament. It's toward the back of the Old Testament. So if you're not familiar with it, this is what might be considered a minor prophet. There are major and minor prophets in the Bible and in the Old Testament, and Jonah is considered to be one of those. So let me tell you a little bit of things about Jonah in case you didn't know. Jonah is acquainted with God. This isn't a new thing, like, like God just came into him and said, hey, by the way, I want you to go and do this thing. He had already had this relationship with God going on. He was already acquainted with God. He knew the power of God. He knew the grace of God. He knew the strength of God. He had experienced all of that. He knew what God could do because he had experienced it firsthand in his life. And so it's interesting because Jonah has experienced all of this and then when God asks him to do something, he says, ah, uh, no. He has experienced God's full mercy, grace, power, and everything about him. And then when God is about to give him some pretty clear instructions, he's like, those people are not worthy of the grace of God, the power of God. Those people are too bad. Those people are not like me. Those people don't believe like me. They don't think like me. They're not, whatever it was, he looked at those people and thought, they aren't worth saving. They are not worthy of that. And here's, we live in a culture that we look, oh, there's no way God could work in their life. Their, their, their beliefs are too liberal. Their lifestyle is this. They, they never grew up in church. They don't do this. They don't do that. And so we start to write off people. Nope, God can't work there. Nope, God can't do that. God, nope, 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 nope. And so we start to be God by picking and choosing who we're going to share the gospel with. And we think, oh, really, Dan? Yeah, we do. We do. And I never, in getting ready for this, I never realized the similarities. The book of Jonah has a lot of similarities to the prodigal story in Luke 15. Think about it for just a second. Jonah runs from the father as a very irreligious and very immoral son and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. I'm out of here. And then conversely, Jonah, at the same breath, is also being the, the older brother, being very self-righteous because he follows all of the laws and he, th he gets to pick and choose who gets saved. Because remember, when his younger brother comes home, he hammers his dad about, how dare you let him come home? Look at what he did. And so Jonah is playing both sides here in this story. He's being very immoral, very, being he's being irresponsible, he's being rebellious, and then he's being very self-righteous in the same breath. Pretty amazing story. So audience participation time, brand new year. Um, I'll start here in the middle. Give me a characteristic of rebellion. What? Okay, tattoos, piercings, okay, sure. What else? Over here. Bullheaded. Choose your words wisely over here. <laughs> Characteristic of rebellion. Anger, Anger? what'd you say? I would not say that out loud. You'll be in trouble. I'll be having counsel before the two of you. <laughs> over here. Characteristic of rebellion. Doing your own thing. 
Think about rebellion. How many of you have children, grandchildren, spouse, coworker, friends who can be rebellious? <laughs> and don't look at the other person, you know. This, this, this story that Jonah is about to embark on is amazing because he's, he's, he knows God personally. He knows and experiences him in a rich, beautiful level. And God says, hey, I've got this idea. I want you to go do this. So I want to read the story first, and then we're going to come back and unpack it. So here we go. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittiah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against them for their evil they have come upon before me. So he does start. He gives him, he gives him a command. Is it unclear? Okay, let's keep going. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went in, got down in it, and to go to Tarshish and away from the presence of the Lord. We're going to unpack that more in just a second. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and those who were, and there was a great mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up. Then the, mariner, uh, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to the, his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone down into the deep part of the ship and had laid, lain down and was had fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, perhaps the God will give us um, the thought of us that we may not perish. Okay, so... Jonah gets, Jonah knows God, he knows him personally, and so let's look at this. This is amazing. It says, now the word, that means God spoke to him, clearly. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittiah, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against them, for their evil has come, upon, has come before me. He gives him a pretty clear call. I mean, it's not really great. Now, how many of you have God said, I need you to go to this person? You're like, God, I don't really want to talk to them. Get somebody else to do that job. And that's really what Jonah was saying about Nineveh. God, I don't really like these people. I don't want them, I don't want them to experience your grace, your mercy, God. I don't like them. They're evil. They don't deserve you. So I want, to think, I want you to think for a second. Brand new year. What would keep you from sharing the message of hope with people? What would keep you from doing that? Is it, is it the ridicule you might take at school or at work or from a neighbor or coworker? Is it the fear of, I, well, I may not be able to answer all their questions, Danny. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm not fr Maybe you're just simply scared. Maybe you're too busy. Maybe it's a reoccurring sin pattern in your life that Satan uses in your life, and he simply says this, when you get that area of your life cleaned up, then you can go tell people about Jesus. And the other one I would say to you that I found for myself and for, for maybe for you in there is that if your relationship with Christ is intermittent, that means it's not consistent, you're less likely to share Jesus because you're not connected to this Jesus. And so he gets this clear signal, go, tell, share, and he's like, 
God, can you give me a different group of people? I don't really like these people. They don't look like me. They, they, don't, they don't think like I do. They don't know you like I do. And so he's not receptive to this, okay? He is not receptive to this idea. He's not, okay? Let me help you out. Um, it's not just my job to tell people about Jesus. There's nowhere in the Bible that says it's just the pastor's job and just missionaries. It says in Matthew, you know, go to the nations. It doesn't say certain people go. It says all of us. That means go to the people, tell them about Jesus. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family, whoever it is, you can't skirt around this fact that we've been mandated to say, tell people about Jesus. If we think Jesus and what we do on Sunday and what we do for the other 52 weeks out of the year, that we think that Jesus is worth making much about, then tell people about him. And that's what he's telling Jesus. That's what he's telling Jonah. He's like, you know me. You've experienced me. Now go tell people about me. Well, Jesus, can I pick who that is? Can I really get to do that? Now, I like this story because I'm new to this parenting thing, but there are two things that will get my heart rate going fast. Um, Is if my child is disrespectful to me, my wife, or anybody else, and or if I ask them to go and come with me or go do something and they run in the opposite direction. I see some nodding of heads. Mm-hmm. If you ask your child or grandchild to come here and they go there, um, your blood pressure starts to tick up a little bit because they're being disobedient, right? They're being rebellious. Well, one of, the, one of our family traditions we used to do, we used to go to Fall River every Memorial weekend and we would camp. And, and it was crowded. And it was fun. We always camp with a bunch of other families. And adjacent to us was a group of a family, a big family, and they had some grandparents and so forth. They were all camping over here. And their youngest son, which would have been about my daughter's age, got in trouble on some level with his mother. And I don't know what caused it, but I saw, I saw a child um, that was going to be dead when caught. So here's the story. We're, wa- we're eating lunch, and we're watching this. I, you know, this is before cell phones. This would have been f- so much fun. Anyway, and so we see the, the boy get up from the picnic table and mother in tow trying to catch this little water bug. Now, the boy is not smart enough to realize he should just run from a mom. No, he taunts his mother like, come on, mom, you can't catch me. <laughs> and he's doing this. And my dad, do you remember this, dad? We're all, we're all going, oh, he is so dead. And he is running around like, he's doing like this, doing this number. And his mother, which was not that nimble, and, and she, her face is turning red. And I'm thinking, this kid is so dead. And so he, she, we're watching them chase. She's chasing him around in this little field adjacent to us. And he's, she's not going to catch him because he's fast and he's being really arrogant and stupid. And so he wanders off down to the spillway area where people fish, and he kind of meanders his way back, and he's kind of forgotten about this little time with his mom. And his mom is sitting at the picnic table eating like this, just doing her business, eating, and the boy 
has, I don't know what memory he had, but it's pretty short. He comes meandering back up to the picnic table, and he's standing at the picnic table. And I think his mother turned into woman Hulk because she reached across, I don't know how many people, grabbed that boy by the arm and within seconds had him upside down, holding him with one ankle, tanning his hide. I was like, it was the most impressive thing I've ever seen. I mean, she had him, I mean, wasn't he upside down? Pow, you run from me, I'll tell you, you know. There is something about running away from something that is an authority figure of your life. It never goes well. It never goes well. It never goes well. So let's keep reading. Jonah gets a command. Verse 3, look at what it says. It says, but Jonah arose to say, God, I'm going to do exactly what you asked because I want to honor you. It says that Jonah rose to pray about it. No, it says he rose to flee. Take off. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Basically, the Lord said, go this way. He said, I'm going that way. Complete opposite direction. If you do the geographics of it, it's incredible. He thought, if I just go this way far enough, then I'll be somehow out of the range of God. No. No. It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it, and to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So two times we see, I think if I can just get away, God won't be able to find me. Isn't this interesting? Because all you have to do is go back to the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve, what did they do? They hid from the presence of the Lord. See, let me help you out. As you enter 2020, if you're going to be rebellious against God, your first inclination is to hide. And you know how I know that? It's because people who start to be rebellious towards God, the first place they quit going is to church. If they are entering a consistent sin pattern in their life that they don't want to deal with, that they don't want to talk about, they don't want to be confronted about, they don't want to be, they don't want to deal with, they will, they will start to isolate themselves from pastors, from friends, from anything that will be potentially bring them to a realization. And so he says, I'm going to try to go the furthest away. And I wrote down a couple things. If you want to keep notes, I've given you kind of a generic note page. And I wrote these things down because I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You will not hear a fresh word from God until you have responded to his previous call. Okay, let me just hear that. For 2020, if, if you don't respond to what he's asked you to do now, he's not going to give you the next thing. It's not how it works. He's expecting you to respond now to this before you move on to that. And some of you are going, man, why am I not moving in my faith? Why is this, why am I hitting this wall? Probably because there's something back here, if you'll do some evaluation, that God has asked you to respond to that you won't, that you're just ignoring that you're saying, let's move on, God. Let's move on. That's not how God works. The second thing is this, and this is, I don't know who said this. It wasn't me. I, don't, I won't take credit for it. It says, God's call isn't for contemplation, but for obedience. You don't get to get God's call and go, you know, God, let me think about that. 
you know, those Ninevites, I don't know, God, they don't really seem worthy of this gospel message. They don't seem worthy of the grace and mercy that I've received. Let me pick and choose who those people are. Because that's what Jonah was really saying, like my own people. And Henry Blackaby kind of sums it up really well. He says, when God says to, uh, what God says to us next depends on how we responded to his previous word to us. Because likely what God's going to say is, hey, can we go back and talk about this? Because we're not moving ahead until we deal with this. You got this going on. Pretty real stuff, folks. Pretty real stuff. So verse 4 says this. Uh, I said this a few weeks ago. I'm probably going to do this in 21. But it's, it's funny because when you think you can get out of the presence of God, God brings somebody, some situation, something into your presence. You're going, all right, God, I hear you. All right, God. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. This is a real storm, real storm. And when you think your ship is about to break up, you, you, the, the mariners are like, oh my goodness, this is, the, wow, we're going to sink if the, something doesn't change. Then the mariners were afraid. Now, let me help you out. If you're, if you're a wily veteran of the sea, you know what storms to be afraid of and what storms not to be afraid of. They were afraid of this storm. They were afraid of where this was going. And each cried out to their God. And it's interesting because whenever you're in a crisis moment, you're going to find out where your faith is leaning. And all these guys reach out to their God, whatever that God was. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it up for them. They thought, well, we'll be practical here. We're just going to unload some stuff. We'll just get some stuff out. But Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. I don't know about you, um, but I don't think you can sleep in a storm. Uh, years ago, we, we went to, um, we were... Um, on vacation with best matter of fact right before I came here where's no it's a couple even before that we went went to um, Puerto Rico which is a beautiful place to visit before the hurricane and we went on a um, a catamaran was a big catamaran probably oh probably from me to the wall big 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 catamaran and the the captain I remember this because he's the captain he goes I'm not really sure we should go out today. The water's a little rough. I'm thinking, okay, we're not going. He goes, it's really rough. But you know what he's saying? He goes, but the little island we want to take you to is called, I think it's called Calabra, which is like the top two or three beaches in the world. Matter of fact, the sand is so white, you have to have sunglasses on on a sunny day because you can't look. It's just blinding. And he goes, I don't know that we should do this because the water's really rough. Because this is a catamaran. Um, there's a statement from a, from a TV series years ago. Um, the sea was angry that day, my friends. Uh, so we're going, and we're going out. And um, I know it's not a good trip when everybody on the boat is throwing up except for three or four of us because it's so rough. I know it's not a good trip when equipment is bouncing out the back because the waves are so big. 
I know it's not a good trip when I hear the glass on the front of the boat windshield crack in half because the waves are so big. And the captain, it's 14 miles from where we are to this island, and the captain goes, we're going to need to slow down, and I'm not, we may have to turn around. And we're all going, we've lost equipment, people are throwing up, and the boat has now got a crack. And now you're telling us we need to turn around? Captain, you should have taken your own orders. We get to the island finally, and no one is having a good time because everybody is mostly green because it was so rough, and then they give you a full-course meal. <laughs> Do the math. And then on the way back, it's, it's amazing how much you just like, get me back to here. It's interesting because these sailors recognized that the sea was really angry, and it was major deal, and so they're like, we're, we're probably going to die. And here you got Jonah, <laughs> sleeping. He doesn't care. And so look, the captain goes down to him, look at what he says, he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. He goes, we're all calling out to our God. Why don't you call out to yours? Do you think that Jonah missed an opportunity to point them to a holy God who could do something? He did. Because he again looked at these men as they didn't deserve the mercy and grace and power of God. He looked at them as, oh, you're not like me. You didn't come from where I came from. You don't know the God that I know. You don't deserve him then. Instead of saying, hey, guys, I know a God that can do something about this, he chooses to do nothing. His rebellion is full on. Not only is he on a ship that's going allegedly in the opposite direction that God told him, he has now got an opportunity to tell some guys about Jesus, and he says nothing. He says he, can, he could do something about this. And he says nothing. And you're going to see that kind of play out all the way through this series. It's not a long series, but it, it plays out all the way through that the mercy and grace of God is not only being poured out on the Ninevites, but it's also being poured out on Jonah. And he kind of forgets that. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you a couple things that just out of these Set these passages. And these are things that when you expose the heart for any of us when it comes to rebellion, these are some things I've learned about myself and maybe you might make sense to you. Rebellion leads to complete rejection of God. Rebellion leads to complete rejection of God and it leads you away from God. Not toward Him, away. When we rebel, we, we, we start to just peel off the things that remind us of God. And so it does that. Rebellion invites a response. God is not going to let you run from Him. He's going to try to get your attention. He's going to try to get your attention about something in your life. He's going to try to knock on the door and say, I'm not going to let you go down this path. He created a storm to get Jonah's attention. He created a storm that says, look, I love you, and I love the men that are in that boat with you, and I want you to stop running from me and tell them about the love of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. His rebellion also affected those men. Do you know that? The storm was caused not because of those irreligious men, but because of a rebellious Christian 
who knew better, and they were catching the brunt of that. They were caught up in it. So whenever you think your rebellion, what's well, just my decision, Dan? I can do whatever I want. I'll help you out with something. Your rebellion has tentacles to people around you who you love. If you think your choices don't have any ramifications with anybody else, you are naive. If you think you can make a decision that you don't think will affect anybody else, you don't understand. You're so self, like, oh, I can do this. It's my business. I can do whatever I want. You can, but there are consequences to it. There are people that it will reach. In this situation, those guys were being reached by a storm that was threatening to collapse that boat because one man chose to do nothing, to rebel. I also know this about rebellion, is it causes spiritual amnesia. You forget who God is and what He's done in your life. And you start to go, well, God, you don't, you don't, you don't understand. Those guys aren't really, oh, God, I don't want you to reach those people for Jesus. They don't deserve you. They've not been a Christian as long as I have. That spiritual amnesia causes us to look at people not the way that God does. And it's very unhealthy. And Jonah has a group of guys, sailors, he could have done something about and he chooses to say nothing. And this is the one that really hurts and I, and I wrote this one down last. Rebellion strips us of hope that we can share with anybody else. That if we allow rebellion, then, we, then how can you talk about the hope of God? How can you talk to people about the hope of God when you intentionally rebel against a holy God? When you say, God, I don't, you can't talk about hope because you're, re, you're, you're not experiencing the hope that we all get. And so Jonah has done all of this, and he's got a group of guys going, can you, does your God have the power to do something about this? And Jonah's like, yeah, he does, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep quiet about this because I know what he wants me to do, and I don't want to do it. I remember pastor at Super Summer years ago he preached and he, he said this verse um, in relation to our, our spiritual life, our lives, and it's out of Numbers 32, 23, and it simply says this. It says, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And you know what, he's, you know what that's saying? Is that your sin isn't hidden. Your rebellion isn't personal and private and no one else knows about it. It has ramifications on everybody else. And Jonah, here he is. He's run from God. God gave him clear instructions to go tell the Ninevites that they have sinned against God. Take the word to them. Take the hope. Take the mercy. Take the grace that God is willing to bestow on them. And Jonah's, Jonah's like, no, God, I don't think they're worthy of that. I don't think they, they deserve that. So let me ask you, has there ever been a person that you thought, you know, they don't deserve this God that I know? They don't really deserve. They don't, they're, they're just, they, they've just made so many bad choices. They have lived a life completely opposite of me, of the Bible, of everything that God is. They don't deserve. And when we do that, we become God. And we don't think we do. But man, I'm not going to invite them to church. Man, they're, they're just too, they're just too out there. They're just too, 
They're just too something. And so we think, uh, there's another church that they should go to, not this church, not this church. And I remind you again, go to Sharon Baptist Church sometime and look up in the education building of John Johnson. I mean, it was built in his honor, died of cancer. And just that church embraced a man who walked into a church on a Sunday morning wearing a tank top and frazzled jean shorts and sandals, a welder by trade. He was led to the Lord. I watched God transform his life, and he poured into people. But had those people looked at him and said, you don't look like us, you don't dress like us, you don't know anything about Jesus, there's the door. What tragedy that would have been. Some of you in this room, what if somebody had not said, oh, Brad is not worthy of the gospel. He didn't grow up like I did. He didn't grow up with a family like I did. He didn't grow, he doesn't know this, he doesn't do that. I'm, he's not worthy of the gospel. See, when we have a rebellious heart, we forget what God has done for us and what he's doing for us now. And so as we embark on this journey of Jonah, I want you to think about something today. I've got one question for you. Is there an area of obedience in your life that you need to respond to God about today? Is there an area of obedience that you have bucked him, you have pushed against him, you have complained, you have said, no, I'm not, I don't want to, no way, I'm not. You've dug your heels in, you said, God, no, I don't want to do this. When we first got my little girl, um, she'd been at our house a couple of weeks and we went to High Park to play. And they told us that when you adopt, you get, you get it all. And I was like, yeah, I, I get you. And I, and I was a little naive to that fact. And so we're at the park, and I tell her, I said, baby, it's time to go home. Now, taking a kid from a park, I see the parents are giggling because I was naive. And so... Beth and I, we're, doing, we're trying to do the parenting thing. We give her the five minutes. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Brad. <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> so I do the five-minute thing, and then I do the five-minute thing again. Uh, I'm doing it times five now. And so I'm doing the five-minute thing, and then, then finally I'm saying, okay, it's time to go. And so she does the first thing that the, that the child do when they don't want to do something, they run. She runs th scampering through all the things that she's, and she thinks she can outrun me, and I'm still young enough and spry enough to catch a four-year-old most of the time. Not really. Anyway, and so I'm like, we're going home now. There's no more five minutes. Those are over. We're going home now. And um, I always used to give that look to the family when they had that child that was out of control, yelling, screaming, and like, man, if you were a better parent, that would never happen. Until I'm at High Park, and my daughter is holding on to the monkey bars with her hands out like this, and me out here with her legs, you are going home. And she's full on tears by now. And I had to pry her fingers off of the monkey bars because we're going home. And I, I carried her in my arms um, because she refused to walk. 
all the way home, which was a, a distance with a 40-pound-year-old child in your arms that is not excited about going home. And she said, I don't want to go home. I said, I know. I said, but it's time to go home. And she said, I don't like you very much right now. And I said, okay, but I like you a lot. She said, there are people still here. Why don't I get to stay? I said, because it's time to go home because we've got dinner. She said, I don't like you very much. I said, I know, but I like you a whole lot. And so all the way home, she is starting to do the tense up like a two by four. How many of you parents have experienced that? It's an amazing thing. I don't know how they do it, but her little frail body turns into a block of steel and it gets heavier. And so we're walking home and she's like, I'm not going home. And I'm like, and she, all the way home, she's telling me how much she doesn't like me. And all the way home, I'm telling her how much I love her. And when you are rebellious to a holy God, I want you to remember something. Even in your rebellion, you've got a holy God saying, I still love you. I haven't quit on you. And even if you don't want to do what I've asked you to do, I still love you. I still have a plan for your life. I still want to hold you. And I carried her all the way home. And we got it figured out. But I knew that if I told her, I don't like you very much either, that didn't accomplish anything. God is always saying, in your rebellion, you are still loved. Will you come home? Will you be obedient? Will you step? Will you come home? It's not too late. And so as you think about this series, as we launch in 2020, is there an area of obedience that God has called you to that you have just dug your heels in about, that you have just said, no, maybe, it's a, maybe it is sharing the gospel. Maybe it's like, God, I don't want to read your word. God, I don't want to, I don't want to get more involved in church. God, I don't want to work on my marriage. God, I don't want to work on my parenting. God, I don't want to be, I don't want to be light at work. There's, too, there's just too many people that they don't care about those things. Whatever it is, God is calling you to respond to it and see what God can do. Because you're going to see next week that God can do some stuff. And over the next few weeks, God can do some stuff. He really can. But it requires some obedience on our part. Let's pray. God, I say thank you for in my rebellion, even when I'm not all that excited about doing what you've asked me to do, I am loved by you. I am cherished by you. And I look at that because I see your grace and your mercy, not only in the Ninevites, but in Jonah's life. And I ask God that over the next few weeks, as we plow through this great book of the Bible, we see your grace and mercy being poured out we see it as a, as a response of who your character is and what it's about. And that in our rebellion, there is a God whispering, you may not like me much, but I sure love you. And I'll tell you why, how much I love you. I allowed my son to die on the cross for you. God, I pray that in this room that the, the most difficult thing that some of us might do is, just, is, is an act of obedience to you. It might mean calling this place home. It might be surrendering our lives to you. It might be an act of obedience to do something you've asked us to do that we refuse to do. I just ask God that whatever it is, we would respond to you. And over the next few moments, God, whether we sing songs or at the end of the service,
whatever it is, that God will be obedient to you, that at some point we'll say yes. Because the yeses that you ask us to do are, the, are some amazing things. The reason they're amazing because we're with you. And I ask God for the next few moments that if there is an area of obedience that we need to respond to, that we would say yes. In your name that I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Corey and Brad and my